A young boy said, Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much on the gift. <laughs> and for the most part, moms are blessed with the special ability of nurturing and healing. And they can often heal the body and soul of life's hurts. And Father's Day seems like a day set aside to someone's attempt of giving dads equal time. <laughs> I know it's done with the right heart, but it has never had to draw an impact that Mother's Day has enjoyed. Two children came home from school and started begging their mother to allow them to take ownership of the classroom pet. Now, this wonderful creature that the children wanted so much was a hamster named Davy. And mom kept him, or mom kept saying no, and had plenty of good reasons why the children should not bring Davy into the home. And it finally came down to an explanation that a pet is a lot of responsibility and work. And as children do, they both promised to do everything to take care of Davy. And after hours of begging and promises, mom finally said yes. But she had made it very clear that if the children stopped taking proper care, that she would quickly make arrangements to find Davy a new home. Now, it had only been a couple of weeks when mom had to constantly remind the children about feeding and watering and cleaning up after him. And about two more weeks passed, and mom started making calls and found a home for Davy. And she went into the living room to tell her children about her decision. And she told them that Davy had become a lot of work for just one person that they had not been much help and that she had found him a new home. And she was surprised when the children did not seem bothered by this announcement. And then her daughter said, is it because he eats too much? And maybe they could find a way to help him eat less. Mom said that it was not the eating so much as the mess and the smell. And then there was all the extra work that she had to do cleaning up. And the children seemed to understand and nodded in a sort of agreement and turned back toward their TV program. <laughs> Mom went and picked up Davy's cage and assorted supplies and headed back through the living room. And the kids saw her carrying the cage and started shouting, Hey, what are you doing with Davy? And Mom said, We just talked about this. Because of all the extra work and having to do it all by herself, she had found Davy a new home. And the children said, no, not Davy. We thought you were talking about Daddy. <laughs> Dads are different. Dads just seem to be like some of the tools in the garage that are just sitting there until you need them. And dads normally are very different than moms and tend to be the ones to fix stuff and other things and be there to answer some of your questions, perhaps, to wife. And that's the end of that story. <laughs> This morning, our scripture is recorded in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. 
Now, it is one of the most familiar and well-loved of all of Christ's parables. It is often called the parable of the lost son, or more commonly, the parable of the prodigal son. But this morning, being Father's Day, this parable would be better titled the parable of the loving father, because that is its emphasis. And the point of the story is not the depth of the lostness of the son, but the depth of the love of the father. In fact, the depth of the lostness of the son is shown only to highlight the depth of the love of the father. And this father exemplifies what it is to be a father as no other person can. But this is also a key theme throughout the Bible from Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, where God sought Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, where the spirit and the bride say, come. And everywhere in between, we see God calling for and seeking sinners. And Jesus described his own mission in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we're having communion this morning, and where the time is moving on, I'd like you to think and meditate on this message, on our fathers and God, especially our Father God, as we come to the communion service this morning. Now this story in Luke chapter 15 was told by Jesus to reveal the true identity and character of our Heavenly Father. It was told to correct some misconceptions about God. And so to correct those misconceptions, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal's father. This story was told to a bunch of grumbling religious leaders who were grumbling because Jesus was receiving sinners. But it is the story of the prodigal's father that speaks of the joy of God when a sinner returns home. And so we begin reading in verse 11, Luke 15, verse 11. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided them his uh, his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all his belongings together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us be merry. Eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This parable illustrates the traits of our Heavenly Father and traits for us to have as godly fathers. The dynamics of this story are fascinating because Jesus' words to his hearers would have been shocking. So let's begin with the younger son. And by the way, this is for you mothers too. We're not leaving you out neither, but this is Father's Day. So what do we learn from the younger son? And Jesus tells us that he goes to his father and asks him to divide the property with his elder brother and to give him what is coming to him. Now when Jesus said this, the people who were originally hearing him would have been utterly shocked. Why? Because they live in a culture where fathers were deeply respected and regarded, and for that younger son to go and say to his father, Father, go ahead and give me the inheritance that is coming to me. He is saying, in effect, Father, I wish you were dead, and I wish that I could get my inheritance that is coming to me when you are dead. And so immediately, the people who are listening to Jesus are not going to like this young man. What he is asking his father to do is against all custom practices in his day. A father could not give his property to his sons prior to his death. He always remained the manager of his property until he died. And then that managerial authority was passed on to his sons. And so the son is not only showing deep disrespect for his father, but he's also asking his father to do something that is certainly not customary. And by so doing in Jesus' day, would very likely have brought about a punishment like a beating or even worse, he could have been disowned by his father. And then the next thing we see is that this younger son gathers up his possessions and he goes far away from his father into another country and he spends his money recklessly. And that's where he gets the name prodigal from. He is prodigal. He is wasteful. He is lavish. He is unrestrained. He is irresponsible in his living. And once again, the people who are hearing this story are not going to have a high regard for this young man. They are not going to identify with him. They're going to think this is a moral cautionary tale. We're going to be told in this story what happens when people do bad things. They're going to get what is coming to them. And sure enough, just as they expect, bad things start happening to this young man. And when he has spent all his money, a famine comes, and he has to hire himself out as a servant to a stranger. And that stranger puts him to work feeding pigs. And he's not only feeding pigs, but he's obviously so ill cared for by this master that he's serving, that he longs to eat the same food that the pigs are eating. 
all of Jesus' hearers are waiting for him to say, and therein lies the message of my story. They were waiting for Jesus to say, this is why you should never disrespect your father. This is why you should never squander your wealth. This is why you should not spend your money on prostitutes in riotous living. This is what happens when you do. But the story doesn't end with the situation the prodigal of the prodigal son in complete disarray and at the bidding of a master who was abusing him. But we read in verse 17, he came to himself. This story has a surprising turn. This is the beginning of the prodigal son repenting. He realizes what he's become. And he begins to reason and wrestle within himself. And he begins to realize who he's offended. And even as he speaks to himself in verse 18, he says that he is going to his father and say, I have sinned against heaven. Now that's a polite Jewish way of saying, I have sinned against God. I'm going to my father and say, Father, I understand that by doing what I have done, I've not just sinned against you, I have sinned against God. And I also know that I have dishonored you, Father, as a son, and I no longer deserve to be called your son. And so I want to ask if you just take me back as one of your servants. And he begins to rehearse this in his mind, this plan. Now the beautiful thing about this story is that the son knew he could go home, but he thought he would have to go back as a servant. He had underestimated the father's love. The son never stopped being a son, his son. The father didn't write him off as a hopeless cause. He was watching for his son. And no doubt he would daily go to the edge of the field and look down the road, <coughs> excuse me, praying for his son's safety. Daughters too. No doubt he would also lay down at night worried about where his son was and what he was doing. And he may have felt he was a failure. I just had trouble with this because this happened to me. With my oldest daughter, not younger one. So he may have felt he was a failure and would ask for the Lord's forgiveness. We know his heart was broken. Mine was broken. One particular day, he saw his son coming home. He ran toward his son and fell on his neck and he kissed him. He didn't say to his son, I told you so. The son already knew. My daughter came back too. Same thing. The father had compassion. 
because he loved him. He didn't have to be gracious. He could have scolded his son for his misdeeds. He could have made an example out of his son for the trouble and embarrassment he had brought to his family. But the father was teaching his children a lesson. Grace. Love outweighed the disgrace. Love outweighed the money lost. Love was proud the son had come home. A life had been rescued and a family was restored. Do you know how the son knew that he had sinned against heaven and against his father? He had a father that taught him what sin was. And this was crucial information when he bottomed out. Do you think that the father didn't know what the son was going to do? Do you think that he didn't know the probability of him ending up in the pig pen? Sure he did. But he had to let the son go and pray for the best. There is a fine line between setting your children free to make their own choices and holding on to them too long. And some fathers try to hold on too long and provoke their children to wrath. It forces their children to rebel. And some parents spend their lives trying to keep their kids out of the pig pen. They try to head off the decision of their children that they know will take them to the pig pen. And this man allowed his son the privilege of experiencing the pig pen for himself. And that is a sure way to allow them to come to their senses. And our Heavenly Father has a way of bringing us to our senses. He wants us to learn lessons from the pig pen that we can learn in no other way. And do you notice that the son was suffering as a result of a famine? When he had spent all he had, famine came. God used famine throughout the Old Testament to bring his people to repentance. Our Heavenly Father's grace includes pig pens. It is there that we discover the full measure of his grace. And I think this father accepted the fact that his son would have to make his own choices in life. And he knew that he would naturally make some wrong choices. And that is why he instilled a solid sense of direction in him when he had the chance. But the son was lost because of his deliberate choice to disobey. And ultimately, it is always a personal choice that leads us astray. But it is not always as deliberate as this one was. Now why is Jesus telling this story. He is telling this story. Thank you. It runs all the time anyway. Not just when I'm sad or emotional. I bend over here and it drips anyways. <laughs> it's the pills I'm on. It's not good. <laughs> Why is Jesus telling this story? He is telling this story because he wants to emphasize how ready the Heavenly Father is to receive repentant sinners. 
He wants us to see how this young man is set free completely. When he comes back to the father, he comes without any justification whatsoever. And there is simply the acknowledgement that he has no claim and that all is up to the father. And the next thing you see this father doing is in verse 22, where he says, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and prepare the fatted calf. He calls for the robe, the mark of sonship, S-O-N-ship. And then he says, put a ring on his finger and the ring would have, would have had a family seal signifying the son's acceptance back into the family. And the servants wouldn't have worn shoes, though they would have fetched the sandals and latched or tied the sandals of their masters. And he said, prepare the fatted calf. That is, he's calling for a feast, the display of honor. He's being welcomed back into the household, not as a servant, but as a son. Isn't this the example our Heavenly Father has made for us? While we were lost in sin, rebellious and unwilling to take our place of responsibility, our Heavenly Father loved us anyway and welcomed us home with forgiveness and open arms. So what do we learn from this story? Fathers are important. Our Father, who is God, gives earthly fathers great responsibility. And he asked that fathers provide for and protect their children. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. And he asked that fathers discipline them in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. He asked that fathers be good examples in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 3. And most importantly, he asked that fathers instruct them in the Lord's saving word. And that's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Given the importance of this responsibility, it's good to be reminded of our vocation as fathers. It's good to recognize our shortcomings. We have a heavenly Father who is God, who is saying, strive to do better. Manage and use your time better. Give priority to the most important and wonderful vocation you have at the moment, fatherhood. And as the father of adult children, I can tell you, this only lasts for a short while. So if you have younger children, get busy. <laughs> now the bottom line is this, dads. What our Father, who is God, wants more than anything else is to have our children with him in heaven someday. And that is what should guide and focus our attention for the brief time they are entrusted to our care. Our Father, who is God, promises the strength of his abiding presence. I am with you always, he says. And we can draw courage and hope from that. And we can echo the confidence of Paul. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And that's Philippians 4.13. As we strive to be obedient. 
Our obedience wavers, however, and sometimes we fail miserably. And that's why it is important to realize we not only have a Father who is God, we have a God we can call Father. That has an exclamation mark. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, you can turn there if you like, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, I think this is, mine's New King James, I think, this morning. I should have said that. But. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic and was a term of endearment, a more intimate term often used by children in the home. And our term dad or daddy would be comparable. And the idea that we finite, immoral creatures could call the infinite holy God dad or daddy seems incomprehensible and blasphemous. And so it would be if it was not for our adoption as sons and daughters. The Son of the Father, Jesus, took our place under the law and bore the curse of the law so that we might be called the sons and daughters of the Father. Cleansed by his blood, declared holy by his Father, and filled with his Spirit, we dare utter Abba, Father, two exclamation marks. <laughs> Under this context of having a God we can call Father, we strive to be obedient to our Father who is God. Neither our successes nor failures as fathers have anything to do with attaining or maintaining our relationship with God as his sons. God has taken care of that. Our Father has taken care of that. We live as his sons and daughters, assured of his love, his forgiveness, and eternal life. And do we make mistakes as fathers in carrying out our Father's will? Yes, frequently. Do we sometimes make very big mistakes? Yes. <clears throat> and do any of these exclude us from our Father's love. No. We get to call God Dad, and it's under our Dad's love that we live our lives. We live under that love as we struggle with our sin, as we make mistakes in raising our kids. We live under that love as we struggle with past mistakes. And that struggle takes place not in an effort to get right for heaven, but rather as sons and daughters who have been made right for heaven. Recognizing our sin is good. Confessing our sin is good. But we do so under this love that says over and over, richly and gladly, I love you. 
I forgive you. Regardless of what may have happened in the past, regardless of what may or may not happen in the future, you have a Father who loves you with an unconditional and eternal love. You have a Father who is God. But because of Jesus Christ and through his Spirit, you can call him Dad. I was going to say to be continued with. <laughs> but we're going to <laughs> get serious. Go into the Lord's Supper. And as we observe the Lord's Supper, we should let it remind us afresh of God's love for us. A love that will never fail. A love that will never get smaller. Though humans may be unfaithful, God will never leave us or forsake us. And though we may struggle and stumble many times, God never abandons us. He is always ready to welcome us back. And as we commemorate Jesus' death, we are gloriously confident of God's love for us. We do not need to worry that our sins, no matter how many or how serious, have cut us off from him. God always welcomes his children back. And we are also mindful that Jesus died because of sin. He went to the cross because humans chose to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. Now we've all done that. And we have all repented of that many times. We seek to do God's will, not our own. We do not want to participate in self-willed life. For that is the approach of life to life that sent us away from God, sentenced us to death and caused our Savior's death. And so the Lord's Supper is a, remind us to, a reminder to us to humble ourselves, even as Jesus did, even unto death on a cross, and seek to serve others. And that's Philippians 2, verses 4 to 8. Each of us is woefully inadequate to the task before us. It is so hard for us to put aside our own interests and serve others. And the good news is that God has provided the way for us to escape this body of death. And it comes through Jesus' life. That's Romans 5, verse 10. For a balanced understanding of the Christian life, we must remember that our Savior is a living Savior, resurrected from the dead, ascended into glory, seated in a position of honor and power with God the Father. He intercedes for us, and he lives in us, and we in him. And because of his life, we walk in the newness of life, living in a state of forgiveness instead of condemnation. I ask as the the elements are being passed around to us. Let us take this time to meditate on our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, making sure our hearts are right with Him, that there is nothing stopping us from partaking in this Lord's Supper. And if you are here and you're not a Christian, there's nothing stopping you right this moment. Ask Him into your heart and life. And you can partake here as a family of Christians.
and believers. So I'll just leave that with you until the elements are passed out. So meditate upon this, please, and the message that we received this morning. Just, just a thought. When the father took and put the best robe on him, on his son, if you talk to a person of Middle East culture, if he hadn't done that, that was his protection, he would have been, by their law, stoned to death.
pray. Our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have this wonderful personal relationship with you through the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you did for us, that you reached out to us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, as we come before you, this, and as we partake of this bread, the symbol of your broken body, of Jesus' broken body, that he suffered and died on that cross of Calvary for the sins of the world, for each and every one of us. And oh, what a marvelous thing it is that he would have died if it had been only one person, if it had only been me or you. He would have done that, and his body would have been broken for us. And as we partake of this juice, represents the blood that flowed from Calvary's tree, the precious blood of the Lamb of God, for the remission of our sins that is through his precious shed blood and his broken body that we can come boldly into your presence here this very day. And we thank you that it didn't just end in the death of your son, but that he rose again the third day and is now at your right hand providing intercession for us. That it is through him that we can, Lord, come boldly into your presence. Oh, Father, we thank you for that. And help us this day as Christians to know what lies ahead for us. That when we pass from this world, that eternity waits for us. A time when we will be in heaven, worshiping you and praising you. And seeing all of our loved ones who are Christians who have gone on before us. And you can picture them up there, going around looking at all the different things that are up there. And saying, my goodness, won't it be nice when Ross gets there or you get there. So I can show him around and we worship and praise him for all eternity. Oh, thank you, Heavenly Father, for that. But also, Lord, give us a burden for those who are lost, those who do not know you and what lies ahead for them. Help us in this way, Lord. Help us in this way. In Jesus' name, I pray. And Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake. And next he took the cup gave thanks and told them, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake. And now may the grace of God be with each and every one of us as we leave this place, and may all that we do and say this coming week be bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ and to God, our Heavenly Father, God, who we celebrate on this Father's Day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for loving us, for caring for us, for forgiving us. What a wonderful Father you are. What a wonderful Father you are.
In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.